Good morning and welcome to each and every one of you. It's been some week from stabbings in Birmingham to more Brexit shenanigans to the very worrying trend concerning the rise of coronavirus infections to that horrific fire in the refugee camp on Lesbos Island. And personally, there have, I am sure, been other worrying things happening in our lives. But there's also been good news and things to be thankful for. The Climate Assembly has produced a report that offers concrete solutions for the worrying climate situation. And early days, but it looks like some politicians are taking notice. Loads of people joined in the campaign last week to prevent the tragedy that is suicide. A young lady with leukemia that we have been praying for is on the mend. And I heard the other day that a young couple are having their first baby. Some other couples are finally getting married after waiting for too long. And our church building is almost ready for us to move back into. We come together this morning because we recognize in our midst a heavenly Father who cares about us. He cares what weighs us down, and he cares for what lifts us up. He is here now with us by his Spirit to share his heart with us. Let's worship him. Let's sing together with our friends at New Scottish Hymns. Lift your eyes to the Lord your God. As we continue in our worship, let us turn to God in prayer. And we use Psalm 139 to focus our hearts in prayer. The psalmist says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Lord God, thank you that you know us and that you care for us. Thank you that you care about the big things and the small things, the things that bother us and the things that delight us. Thank you that it is your desire to know what is on our hearts, but also it is your desire to give us what is on yours. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who revealed your heart like nothing else has or ever will. Thank you for your love shown in him. Oh, what a savior is he. Lord, help us to trust in you with all that we are and all that we have. And through this service of worship, we ask you to equip us to walk in your light, even in the darkest of days. We pray now the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory for ever. Amen. I and indeed I have two brothers and and a sister. But I want to talk about my older brother, my big brother, today. My big brother never visited here in Bigger, so you've never met him. But if you saw him, you might know that he is my brother. Here's a photo of the four of us at a wedding just last year. Do you see my big brother? People say he looks like me. His name is Joe. He was named after my Grandpa Joe, or my Daddy Pops. And Joe now lives in California, which is a long way away. We don't see each other very often. But when we were young, we always went everywhere together. We are only a year apart. Joe is a year older than I am. Joe is always ahead of me in most things. He went to school before I did. He joined the sports teams before I did. He used to always get in trouble before I did too. And sometimes I got away with stuff because I could blame it on my big brother. Sometimes when I was young I would resent Joe being older and getting to do stuff that I was not yet allowed to do. But you know, looking back on it, I am really grateful for having a big brother. Because he went before me, he could always help me with adjusting to new things and new situations. He often stuck up for his little brother when I got into scraps with other kids in the neighborhood or at school. And Joe also let me learn from his mistakes. The memory of my big brother Joe that sticks out most for me is when I ran my first marathon when I was 16. Joe was 17, of course. And Joe was my pacemaker in that race. Do you know what a pacemaker is? He or she is someone who runs along with the runner, keeping the pace and helping them to get to the finish line. My brother Joe ran with me for the first half of that marathon, right in front of me. And he kept looking back and encouraging me to keep going. Because of Joe, I was able to finish that marathon, that race of 26 miles. And I was able to meet my goal of just under three hours for that race. My brother Joe set the pace for me. Not just in races, but in all sorts of ways. And I am thankful for him. When Peter writes his letter to his friends who are having a tough time, he reminds them that they have someone who ran the race called life before them. He reminds them that Jesus also suffered like they are suffering, and that because they trust in Jesus who suffered, died, and rose again, they too will rise again to new life,
No bad things, not suffering, not enemies, not even death will be able to hold them back. Church services will begin next Sunday in the church building, albeit in a very different way. We'll not, however, be resuming Sunday Club just yet. I'll still be sharing a children's reflection here online, and Nicola and Mare have come up with a brilliant idea of giving every one of our children a special notebook where there, there will be some questions about the Bible passage that we'll be looking at each Sunday. And I also want to start asking you some questions that you can write the answers to in those notebooks, or maybe even get mom or dad to email me your answers. And I'll be looking at them in the next Sunday, looking at your answers and sharing them with everybody. And you know, if ever you have any questions for me, please do just phone me or get mom and dad to ask me any questions about anything. I can't uh, assure you that I'm going to give you answers, but I can think about the answers perhaps. Now this week I have three questions. You will want to discuss your answers to these questions with others. You don't have to answer them on your own. This is not an exam. Okay, so bear in mind that we're looking at 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Now the first question you can get just by looking at that Bible passage. Then the first question is, you'll see it come up on the screen, what is of greater worth than fine gold? Number one, what is of greater worth than fine gold? The second question you might need a dictionary for. And the second question coming up on the screen. What is an inheritance? What is, or what does that word inheritance mean? No, not Harry Dance, like what Megan would have got on her wedding day, but inheritance. What is an inheritance. And number three, what is our inheritance when we trust in Jesus? What is our inheritance when we trust in Jesus? Those are your three questions. Let me know your answers. I'm keen to find out. We turn now to read and reflect on scripture, on God's holy word. And our passage this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. If you've got a Bible, it might be good to have, even though the words will be on the screen, it will be good to refer to as we work through this passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses, 1, verses 3 to 9. Let's read God's word. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together as we turn to reflect on this God's word. Lord God, thank you for your truth that stands the test of time and helps us to stand through trials and through suffering. Help us to take it in as we turn to reflect on this passage. Open our eyes Open our hearts to receive what you have for us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we turn again to the first letter of the Apostle Peter, written to his friends living in an area that is now northern Turkey. We're working our way through the whole letter. We're trying to get a gist of the whole message and to see how all those wonderful verses that we have probably heard often fit into the whole message of this letter. I hope some of you had the chance to read the whole letter, or perhaps listen to it being read to you by David Suchet this last week. This Sunday we move on from the greeting there in verses 1 and 2 to the opening of the main body of the letter. Here Peter explodes out of the starting gate with praise to God. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He shouts in what is known as a doxology. Maybe you know that word. It comes from two Greek words, doxa, glory, and logos, word or saying, a saying, that glorifies. When I was a child, we sang a doxology every Sunday after the offering in church. You know the one. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. In my tradition, we sang this particular doxology so often that I, for one, forgot what it meant. That's not how it was in the New Testament times. Most of the New Testament letters begin with doxology after a brief greeting like we see here in 1 Peter. It's as if no matter how urgent the message being conveyed, whether that message is to give instructions on how to live or to correct something that's gone horribly wrong, the apostles, whether it's Peter or Paul or John or whoever, 
all feel the need to begin their letters with praise. The point is that everything that God is and God has done is the basis for everything else. It is with him and what he has done that we begin. And worship is the only fitting response to such glorious truth that we see in him and in what he has done. And it's that truth which is the basis and the motivation for everything else that follows in the letters of the apostles or in our lives. In Peter's doxology, he sets out for the beleaguered Christians to whom he is writing just why they should feel hopeful, why they should feel hopeful even in the time of trial and suffering that they are experiencing. He will go on to give instructions on how to live in such times, but he pauses first to lay the groundwork. He pauses first to lay the foundation on what is to come in his letter. And this groundwork, this foundation that he lays, is vitally important. The first five verses of Peter's doxology in the original Greek are all one sentence. He is so excited. Peter is so excited, so taken in by the glorious truth that he has known and learned and experienced that he is trying to communicate that he can't stop even to draw breath. Peter in his doxology tells his readers that there are two things in which they can be confident no matter what comes. What has been coming at them has been horrendous and it doesn't appear that it is going to let up. So there are two things in which they can be confident. And these two things are, one, the new birth into a living hope. And two, their inheritance that will not perish. New birth. It is by God's great mercy that you have been given a new birth. Peter says. Now what does Peter mean by new birth? Through the course of this letter we will see influences on the writer of this letter from other sources. Here we see the influence of the teaching of Jesus. Here is yet another reason to believe that the writer of this letter was truly Peter the Apostle. For he remembers what Jesus said. He was there. Peter here is remembering what Jesus in John chapter 3 said to Nicodemus about new birth. Jesus there in John chapter 3 tells Nicodemus, Unless a person is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was saying that before the events of the cross and the empty tomb. And here Peter writes after those events. Peter writes as one for whom those words of Jesus have now become fulfilled. Peter has been given new birth by trusting in Jesus 
and so have these people to whom Peter writes. And what does the new birth mean for them? It means, according to Peter, that they have died with Christ to what they were, and they have come alive with him into new life in him. In his death, Jesus took upon himself all that was theirs. He took on their sin. He took on their hopelessness. He took on their alienation. And he gives them in exchange what is his. He gives his new life. He gives them a new beginning into eternal life. His father now becomes their father. They have a new parent who is going to look after them as only the divine parent can do. Peter says that his friends are born again to a living hope. Their hope is living because it's based on a living person, the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is living because God the Father raised him from the dead after he too had suffered just like Peter's readers are suffering. After Jesus was risen, he ascended to heaven, just as Peter's friends will one day also be united with Christ in the love of the Father. The second thing in which Peter's readers can be confident that he tells them is an imperishable inheritance. Peter says that they are born again into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Again, Peter is remembering the words of Jesus, remember, remembering the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths or vermin can destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Inheritance in the ancient world was vitally important, and it usually meant land and titles. Remember, however, who these folks to whom Peter writes are. In his greeting, Peter calls them the exiles. They are the alienated. They, whether they come from Jewish or pagan backgrounds, were most probably disinherited from their families when they chose to believe in this strange religion. But Peter here reminds them that their being born into this new family of God gives them a far better inheritance than they lost when they became Christians. Inheritance of an earthly kind can perish, spoil, and fade. But their inheritance as born-again believers is not made up of money or lands or property. All of those things, no matter how sure we think they are, may one day be worthless. The other week we were remembering the forgotten war with the Japanese in the Far East when we celebrated VJ Day on August the 15th. And I was struck by what one British Indian soldier said 
when he was interviewed on the telly. He said at the time of the war in Burma, a handful of rice could buy a handful of rubies. Rubies, these very precious stones, in that situation in the war had become worthless. Peter says here in our passage that even solid gold will someday be worthless. But he says that the inheritance that the believers have received is imperishable. It will remain untouched by death, unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. It is imperishable because it is kept in the safest place of all, because it is kept with God in heaven. In this inheritance, Peter's friends can be confident, even through their times of grief and trials. They can be confident that nothing can take away what God has given them and keeps for them, their new birth and their inheritance as the children of God. Peter is overjoyed by the fact that these friends are confident in what God has given them. They have genuine faith, he says. This faith they have is being proven as they hold on to the truth of the gospel through their sufferings and through their trials. He says that their faith, because it has come through suffering, is more precious than gold. Peter ends his doxology with a reference to the end, to that eternal end result of Christian faith, to the summing up of all things that God promises at the end of the age. This end is not something that Peter imagines his friends will just sit around waiting for. He doesn't remind them of the end so that they can resign themselves to whatever lot they have in some sort of weary, trudging-through-life kind of way. The end, the salvation of their souls, Peter says, is to shape their lives now. Because of that end, Peter says that they are joyous people. They greatly rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, even in the midst of their sufferings. In this letter, Peter will go on to deal specifically with the kinds of trials and temptations his friends are facing. Peter will ask them to make difficult choices. Peter will ask them to behave in ways that they will not find easy. His argument for why they should do these very difficult things starts here starts here with the magnificent truth of God's mercy and the new birth into a risen Jesus and an imperishable inheritance. This is their sure anchor through all the storms that will come. This is their sure anchor that will hold them and see them through. I wonder if you're feeling a bit battered now. I certainly am. I lost a good friend a few weeks ago. 
and this COVID thing seems to be unending. Just when we thought things would ease, they appear to be going in another direction. But what if what Peter says about God's mercy is true, and if what he says about you and me as the recipients of that mercy is also true, if our inheritance in Christ is imperishable, if it is true that nothing and no one can take it away, of the, what then do we need to ultimately fear? Can we in any way doubt that if God loves us so much that he gave us Jesus to die on the cross, that he won't also see us through to a glorious salvation? I don't know if you've noticed but what we have in this letter so far is a lot of doctrine. There's a lot of teaching about the truth of our shared Christian faith. We saw last week in the opening greeting, Peter touching on the doctrine of election. And although I didn't highlight it at the time, he also in the second verse touched on the doctrine of the Trinity, that glorious truth about the partnership of love between Father, Son, and Spirit. And this week in Peter's doxology, although we haven't named them as such, he, he touches on loads of other doctrines, on the doctrine of salvation, of faith, of vivification, of the perseverance of the saints, and, and others as well. I know that it's in vogue these days to dislike doctrine. Lots of folk like the mantra deeds and not creeds. Creeds are made up of doctrine. But friends, without creeds, our faith would be a shipwreck. It is only on the foundation of doctrine, on the creeds, on gospel truth, that we can do any deeds that are worthwhile and, and keep on doing them, even when others would give up. We need both creeds and deeds, and they must come in that order, creeds and then deeds arising out of what we believe. It is by standing on doctrine that the saints of the past got through the toughest of times, and as we stand on those same doctrines, as we dwell on them, as we wonder at them, as we share them with each other, then we can and will make it through, through even these tough times that we are experiencing. Do you see what Peter is doing here with his suffering friends? When Christian friends are hurting, the best thing we can do, as Peter does here, is to remind them of the truth. Before we make any recommendations, before we offer any advice or course of action, especially in these uncertain times in which we find ourselves, let's remind each other of the mercy of God through which he has given us new birth. Let's remind each other of the, the glorious inheritance we have in Christ. Let's remind each other 
of what awaits us in glory. Let's remember the certain things of our faith as the foundation of our faith. And once we've got these truths under our skin, we can go on confidently to act, to do those deeds and to live even in the face of suffering and trials. May God bless to us this reflection on his holy word. Let's now bring our prayers and concerns before God. Let's pray. Lord God, many of us have known the truths of who you are and what you have done since we were very young. We were taught them by parents in school and in Sunday school. And we ask you now, Lord, to renew our excitement about our faith. Guide us to dig deep into this unfathomable story about who you are and what you have done. And as we dig, give us power to live. May your truth sustain us through whatever may come. We bring before you now that which lays heavy on our hearts. We pray for ourselves, our families, and our communities, and our world. We pray for our world, battered as it is from the effects of our greed and lack of care. We thank you for the Climate Assembly and their hard work to find solutions to this situation that we have got into that threatens us all. Lord, move individuals, including us, and the leaders of our world to take this threat seriously do the things that need to be done that our world might have a cleaner and brighter future. We pray for refugees, especially those who have suffered because of this fire in Greece. And we ask you to stir those, including us, who have homes and security to offer the same to those who do not. Lord God, move our leaders to have compassion on migrants and refugees and to craft policies that reflect that compassion. We pray too that wisdom and magnanimity might prevail in the present Brexit talks. We pray for our community under strain from the threat of this virus and the temptation to blame others. Help us, Lord, to be united in our efforts to combat the spread of this infection and also to have empathy and understanding for one another. We pray for those who are ill or bereaved or hurting today. And we name in the silence those particularly known to us.
heal, Lord, with your love. Where there is brokenness, give wholeness. Give hope to the hopeless. And at the last, bring us all with all your people into the inheritance that you keep for us where no moth or vermin can destroy and no thief can break in and steal. We pray these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.